Welcome in. It is Buccaneer Insider. We are back for another week as things are getting closer and closer to hopefully getting back on campus. Uh, Kelly McClatchy, Nicholas Case, and yeah, it's it's we're starting to get to that point where it's close enough where you can uh, you can kind of taste it. The itch is there, man, and we're starting to be able to scratch it. We've been doing some things in office around some of the athletes and safely and distancedly. That's a thing, right? Distancely. It is now. Anyway, um, we, we've been around them and, and we're starting to ramp it up. And man, we're we're hoping we're hoping, man, because man, man, it, it's there. It's it's so close. We can taste it. Yeah, it really is. And we, we got this week two good guests and two coaches. And I can tell you that they're both definitely ready to get back to it as well. We've got the, the head volleyball coach, David McFatridge, and he is definitely he's a uh, He's even a, a self-proclaimed volleyball nut, and he is he's ready to get back out there. I, I think he's – you know, you're used to hearing people eat, sleep, and drink football and baseball and basketball and hockey. This might be the first person I've met that does that for volleyball, and it shows, and it, that's a good thing. Yeah, it really is. You can see it in our conversation with him, just how much he loves the game and how excited he is to get back out there with his team. And in our second interview – for this week is Jim Stinsey, the uh, the director for track and field and cross country, and uh, you know he's it's it's one of those things you don't really think about. You know how do you become a running coach and and how do you how do you coach a cross country team? But uh, you know he, he gave us a little bit of an insight into it all. I still am puzzled as how one becomes good at running. I mean, I say in the interview, I went through a spell where I was a runner, and it, it, my dad was a runner, and um, you know, none of us are particularly good at it, but we enjoy it. How do you just stumble upon, oh, actually, I'm really fast at this? I yeah. think you just, it, it helps that you're taller than 5'6", I'm sure, but. Well, I mean, I'm kind of tall, and it doesn't help me at all. I'm still very slow. So, but, hey, either way, we get to chat with him. We get, uh, we got David McFatridge coming up first. Before that, can't forget our sponsor, East Bay Deli. want to thank them for helping us put this on each and every week. As we get closer, don't forget, you can check them out in uh, carry out, delivery, dine in. Make sure you wear your mask if you do. And let, let me add, you can check us out now. Oh, that's right. On iTunes, Spotify, Google, and a bunch of other v- venues. You're not just limited to having to watch us on YouTube anymore. You can take us to go. That's right. You don't have to see our faces. Yeah, because I don't blame you if you don't want to. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people that, I mean, I... You're making the smart move going over to Spotify or iTunes. But uh, still, at some point, put this on in the background and let it roll. Yeah, exactly. Let's try to be entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. Hopefully nobody gets to see that. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to lead things off. The head volleyball coach, David McPatrick, coming at you. Well, welcome in our first guest for this week's Buccaneer Insider. It is the head coach for the volleyball team, David McFatrick, and coach. Welcome in. It's good seeing you. It's been a uh, it's been a quite a while since we've been able to see you all in the gym. How you doing? What you been up to? Uh, yeah, it's been a long time, buddy. We we uh, are just uh, as much as possible trying to do things as normally as we could. But man, three or four months uh, away from everything kind of being sequestered uh, it was it was kind of tough we're excited hopefully uh we start practice this thursday our first uh our players actually reporting tomorrow then we start on thursday so everybody is antsy to get back into the gym 
as with everything that's going on right now, there have been adjustments and protocols. And what's the biggest adjustment you guys are having to go through? Uh, I think the biggest adjustment is uh, remembering to wear our mask. <laughs> so we, uh, uh, it, it's, it, it, right when you think it's become a habit, you walk down the hallway and I'm like, oh, I forgot my mask. So I got into, got into uh, work this morning. I think I was the first one here. And I, I um, uh, started walking down to the athletic training room to do my daily test. And uh, I got halfway there and I forgot my mask. So fortunately, the lights were still off and nobody saw me. But I came back to the came back to the office pretty quick, put my mask on, then went went back down there. But yeah, there's a lot of things to get used to. But the mask and, uh, uh, you know, just the 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 idea that you, uh, you know, we have to stay distant from each other, all the all the main things. It's still it's hard to make those new things a habit, but uh, we're getting better at it. What are kind of your, your expectations as you guys get, get into practice and start getting back into the gym? And, and, you know, are there any kind of big major changes that you guys are planning to implement in the way that you guys practice? Or is it still going to be kind of, you know, business as usual, try to keep yourselves apart when you can, that kind of thing? Well, when we get to practice, we want to be as business as usual as we possibly can be. Uh, yeah, we're going to probably have to coach from a little bit uh, longer distance. Uh, where uh, things like that are going to change the the nature, the structure of the practices will be the same. We are, uh, we're coming off a, uh, my first season here, we were fortunate enough to, to win more games than they've won in the last 10 years. So I think that's a pretty good start. We, uh, on the flip side, we did lose eight players off last year's roster. So we, we've got uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of people, and a lot of points to replace. But we've got some incoming freshmen that we're excited about. And it, just the team chemistry is probably the strongest asset that we have right now. All, all the players genuinely like each other. They hang out with each other. Uh, we, we don't have any seniors on the team, but we do have leaders on the team. And those leaders have embraced the new players and have really been intentional and proactive in including them in everything so far. How has it been trying to integrate the freshmen uh, through this different time? It, uh, it's difficult for us, buddy, because we, uh, we're in a hands-off time right now. And so we've had to rely on the, um, the returners to, to do that. We haven't been able to get them, you know, to, to make an impact on them because we just don't have access to them. You know, the only people that have access, true access to them right now are the, um, the athletic trainers, uh, our strength coaches and our returners. And so, uh, uh, you know, we waved at them from a distance a few times. We've seen them in the cafeteria. We saw some in the cafeteria yesterday, but we just can't talk volleyball and we can't, uh, we won't be able to uh, really even spend any time with them until our first team meeting, which happens tomorrow. And then we'll be on the court for the first time with them on Thursday. So have you guys even been allowed to, you know, just kind of like Zoom and like just chat and catch up and see everybody's doing, you know, have you guys been allowed to do that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. We have the, 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 the way we've communicated is Zoom and we usually have one or two Zoom meetings a week. We try to keep them short. You know, we don't want to uh, give them too much information, but we can talk about uh, different things and communicate schedules and things like that through Zoom meetings. And so that's been interesting because, you know, we're sitting there looking at 13 players or so and, uh, 
You've got uh, you've got one who's in the Zoom meeting on her phone while she's in a boat in the middle of a lake, and then you got then you got another kid who's been either kayaking or paddleboarding in the ocean, and she comes up on the beach, and so she's joining the she's joining the Zoom meeting there. Then you got two or three in a dorm room together, and they're on the Zoom meeting. So the Zoom meetings have been interesting, and uh, I think because we have kept them pretty short, they're they, uh, they don't mind taking time out of their recreational uh, fun and joy during this time. Yeah, I have seen a lot of videos of um, the players enjoying outdoor, um, where it's a lot safer time together. And as you said, that's, that's, you know, that's been the real interaction they've had. Does that make you feel good that these girls have kind of taken that leadership to do that without much direction? It's probably the best thing, but I got to tell you, it's so important to have that chemistry. The best teams I've ever had have just had, uh, they've held each other accountable. They genuinely liked each other. When problems have arisen, they've used the biblical model to resolve conflict. The best teams I've had have done that. Uh, conversely, the worst teams that I've had uh, haven't done that. And so, um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a lesson that we share with our team. We, I've seen the I've seen the best teams I've had and the results and I've seen the worst teams I've had and the results and a big factor in those results is how well they get along when they do have issues that they go to each other. And, uh, and so that's very, very important. It's a joy for me to see. I saw a new video last night from, um, from uh, one of our juniors, Ashley Holweger, who's going to, who's going to play a leadership role this year for us. And I saw it and it was just pure joy. I, I, I want to talk to her about showing it to you because she's really, you know her, you know yeah. Ash, and she's really talented. And I'm hoping that we can uh, release that as kind of a, a, a Volley Bucks thing too. Yeah, I, I saw the video on her Instagram and she interned with us last year. So we have an idea of how talented she is. And it's, it's a really good video. It's uh, I'm jealous because I, I want to be able to do stuff like that. I have my talents. That's not quite one of them. It's, it's really good. She's so talented, man. I got to tell you, she's, uh, she works hard. She's, uh, she's uh, a great young lady. She works hard in the, in the classroom. She's talented in the field of arts and graphic arts. And uh, I got to be careful not to ask too much of her, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I, um, yeah, I got to watch myself not to put too much on her, but you saw the graphic. It was really, really cool, and I'm hoping we can release that as a uh, on our volleyball Instagram uh, page. So, when it comes to one of the questions I like to ask is when it comes to recruiting, because obviously every sport is so different in what you look for, and you know the kind of player that you try to recruit. So, what's what's your strategy when you're looking for players to bring into this program? Well, the, the first strategy, uh, one of my best friends, I worked with him for eight years. Uh, he was a fantastic athletic trainer, and he just retired and proud of him. His name's Steve Horner. Steve-O, uh, he always told me, he said, Fatchmo, you, uh, uh, recruiting's like shaving. If you don't do it every day, you look like a bum. And he's right. So the first strategy of recruiting is something that it's nonstop. And uh, I'll never forget Steve-O telling me that. And uh, He's coming out here to visit us now that he's retired, by the way. So he'll be at some he'll be at some volleybucks or buccaneer games this this year. But um, yeah, so we got to do it. We got to be consistent at it. Uh, we're we're looking for uh, we several things. 
when I took over the program, we, you know, we had some, um, uh, I think six freshmen were part of the program last year, wonderful people. And uh, we're looking at initially at understanding the game and volleyball IQ. What are the important factors? What correlates to winning? Number one, what habits do we have to, to do we have to have? And while we're recruiting players, can we see those habits on the court while we're recruiting them? You know, we're looking to become more athletic. We're looking to become bigger at certain spots. We're looking at pe- we're looking for people who make others around them better. And uh, you don't necessarily have to hit a, a jump out of the gym. You don't necessarily have to tear the cover off the ball. We don't have to have all players like that. We do want players like that. But we want players who, uh, who really get together, fit together, and genuinely like each other. And so it's hard to identify that when you're just watching a, watching video of a player or at a court. So for me, when I recruit, I really look at the, the player after I identified that, hey, that talent-wise, that player can, uh, can help us. When I see that, then I start watching what they're doing before the play. And more importantly than that, I watch what they do after the play. And so, you know, do they, do they turn and face their teammate? Do they, are they, are, do they have the, um, the characteristics and are they showing the actions of a good teammate supporting each other? If I don't see that, even though they've got the talent, then that person will, that, that re- prospects, uh, uh, that recruits prospects will kind of drop in my eye. You know, there's a lot of talented players out there that we won't uh, want to take because of situations. And there's a lot of talented players that we will take because of what we see them do before and after the play. So you'll, you'll, you'll kind of take somebody that may be 10% less talented if you think it'll make the sum greater than the individual. That's right. That's right. Uh, 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 a friend of mine, a, a fantastic coach, one of the best, probably in my opinion, the best volleyball coach of all time and one of the best coaches of all time. He, um, he won't put together a group of six players on the court that are individually the best. This is one of the many, many things I've lear- learned from him. He'll, take, he'll put the six out there that play together the best. And so if that's the end goal, then we have to be very uh, judicious when we practice and when we put teams together practice-wise so we can see the group that plays together the best. You know, if you've got uh, – and that could mean one of your better individual players statistics-wise not seeing as much court time as she normally would because she doesn't fit together. It's the group that plays the best that's going to be out there. It's counterintuitive to what a lot of coaches do, but I learned that from him, and it's a good lesson. Well, it's certainly, uh, you know, just kind of want to take a little bit of a roll back to the end of last season and something that you guys looked just absolutely, it looked like you were starting to hit the stride and everything was starting to come together. And I think, honestly, if that team had another month, I don't know if they would have lost again. What What went so right near the end? Was it just everybody finally starting to come together and understanding how to play? That's a lot of it. You know, I, I got to applaud the, the group from last year because they stuck with it. You know, when you've, got, uh, when you've got seven people that are graduating and moving on, you know, and that you're in that last year, it's difficult to maintain the motivation and the fire and stuff like that. But we put something out in front of them, and we're not uh, – historically, Charleston Southern hasn't been a regular 
uh, uh, participant in the conference tournament. And but we stuck with it, and uh, we got down to the last game of the season. I, I don't know. I, I was so proud of the team uh, in the last regular season game against Radford at Radford because uh, we were down. I mean, we won the first game, and then we kind of let off the gas a little bit, and they started playing a lot, lot better. But ultimately, the game went to the fifth, the fifth set. The score was, uh, was nine to nine at, in the fifth game, which, you, as you know, only goes to 15 points. And the next thing you know, they're winning 14 to 11 in the fifth game. And we made a little sub. We put a freshman in to serve, and, uh, which was difficult to do because we, she had to replace a senior. <laughs> So uh, we put a freshman in to serve and a freshman in to attack. We made a double, what's called a double sub. And they just kept battling. Uh, that freshman, uh, Emily Carlsey, was the one. She went to the service line. It was kind of cool, buddy, because her, her family, I think they had about 10 or so uh, uh, family members, drove in from Michigan and were in the stands at Radford to watch that match. And it came down to her execution from the service line and it was incredible she had two or three handcuffs we were able to transition and then on the on the play to win the game and that whoever won that game was going to advance to the conference tournament so the the play of um, the last play of the game were plus one at 15 14 and uh you know emily made a dig to a, a freshman made the dig a freshman uh um uh, 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 defensive specialist. My daughter L set the set a freshman attacker who hit off the block, and we won the game. And so that was kind of cool. And there was a lot of joy in that from from winning that and qualifying for the uh, conference tournament. After the game, I went to Emily Emily Carlsey. Isu is her nickname. I said, "Hey, Isu, how'd you feel?" She goes, "Coach, I knew you were going to put me in. My heart was beating a a mile an hour, you know, a thousand miles an hour." And, uh, and I went back there. I was so nervous, but after I got that first one in, I felt pretty good. So it was kind of cool to see her rise to the occasion in that situation. That's, that's great. When you guys are looking forward, there's that cohesive unit coming together. What are you most looking forward to about, you know, this upcoming season, whenever it may be? Uh, I'm looking forward to the competition on the court. Uh, we, we try to practice, uh, in such a way that we re, we bring out the competitive uh, nature of players, and, and sometimes it's just a skill that has to be developed. It's inherent in some that uh, you know that we that they're just battlers and they hate to lose. Some players you have to you have to bring it out in them. So for me, the most exciting thing to see is how well that they compete, and what do we do as coaches. Uh, we use a lot of guided discovery in our coaching. What do we do as coaches so that we can help them figure it out on how to be more competitive and how to battle? And we've talked a good about about your team, and that's right because it's the focus. But what about you? Uh, what was the uh, what's the past couple months been like for you? Well, it's been uh, I'm chomping at the bit to get into practice. I, I love practicing. You know, as a coach, I love that. I love seeing young ladies get better. I love teaching the game. And it's been so hard for me to wait. You know, the, the worst thing is our spring got cut short. 
and we were uh, we were having a pretty good spring, but we just didn't get through even uh, maybe one third of it until until the um, the pandemic hit and we had to uh, we had to pull in the reins. And so I didn't get my fix of practice during the spring, and then I had to go through you know uh, most of the summer without practicing. So. I'm chomping at the bit to get in the gym. That's the hardest thing because uh, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a video hound as a coach. Uh, we, we, we work hard on that. We work hard on recruiting. But, boy, I love, I love being in the gym practicing. And so the, the hardest thing for me is to not do that. That's the, the biggest joy that I get, I think, is teaching, watching, watching players get better, being consistent on things, and watching, uh, watching that competitive – this kind of build up so uh i've got two days left buddy i'm ready to go so you said we'll you're hard on thursday you said your daughter's on the team have you been driving her crazy yeah a little bit <laughs> <laughs> she she uh uh we try really hard man we we have this agreement hey when we walk out of this building at night it's daddy daughter it's not volleyball and I, I'll be honest with you, I'm breaking that rule all the time, man. It's hard for me not to talk to my daughter about volleyball, and it's hard for her not to talk to me about volleyball. But uh, I've been breaking that rule. I got to get better, man, at it because especially closer to the season, you know, you're, hey, look at this, watch this. And uh, it's it's hard to do. It's hard uh, to be just a dad and daughter. But we're we're really grateful that we get to do this. What a blessing, man. You know, my daughter's, uh, uh, my daughter's from Guatemala. I played, I played volleyball in Latin America years and years and years ago. And, uh, we went to my wife and I, after we were married, 12 years after we were married, we wanted to adopt. And I said, when, when I was playing volleyball in El Salvador and Honduras, I was playing in Guatemala. My favorite country was Guatemala. Let's, what do you think about an international adoption? She goes, let's do it. So, you know, so my daughter's kind of grown up around watching her dad play volleyball. And, and, you know, I remember the, I remember the kid jump training in the sand with, with a medicine ball, uh, when she was six years old and just, you know, such a, uh, just around volleyball all the time. And, uh, you know, first set of knee pads, we got her, her legs were so skinny. They look like ankle, they look like ankle braces. They fell to her ankles, but, we always talked about the opportunity to make this happen together. And the Lord just is so cool. And we're blessed to be able to do this together. I'm, I'm hard on her and I uh, probably sometimes too hard on her, but uh, it's a joy for us to, to do this together. We're blessed to do it together. That's awesome. I know there's, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of coaches and in, in really just any level that, that get that opportunity. That's, that's really great for you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're, we're thankful. Uh, she loves the team. She loves, she loves the players around her. So, uh, so they're a big blessing to her. Well, Nick, I'm not sure if you've got anything else for him or not. No, it's been uh, great to catch up with you a little bit more than passing in the hallways like we've been doing. And yeah, you know, uh, we're we're hopeful that things can get off and relatively on time, and we can see you and the girls out there soon. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate you. Appreciate everything you guys do. Anxious to have you at the at some games and hopefully the season will know today. I think finally the final answer I think comes today, whether we're going to have it or not, we're always optimistic. I'm an optimistic guy and we're hoping for it. We're hoping that we get to play the season and we've got actually have a player arriving tomorrow 
uh, an international player. So she's hoping to play. But uh, you know, if the if it if they don't if we don't have the season, it's it's okay. We're going to roll with it. It's no no big deal. We're just uh, uh, do whatever the NCAA says, and we'll be happy uh, wh whether we get to play or not. Sooner or later, we'll be on the court. And I know whether it's September, October, spring, or next year, you guys will be ready to roll. We'll be ready to roll. Yeah. All right. Thank, thank you, guys. I appreciate you hanging out with us. Absolutely. Okay. That was the head volleyball coach, David McFatridge, and it's it was great getting to catch up with him and see what he, you know, really just is looking forward to the most for, for the second year that he's leading this program. And we mentioned, you know, we mentioned it previously when we talked to some of the other players, just, you know, that team really started to come together. And I really can't wait to see what they do when they're able to get back out there on the court. Yeah, I hope, you know, we're – at the time of this recording, we're waiting on the NCAA and Big South decision as to what happens. And even if it's pushed back to spring, I hope they get a chance to compete because they're going to be really ready to go. And I think they are uh, trending upward. And I think that's, I want to see how that plays out. I really don't want to wait another year for it. I'm impatient. Also, okay. after his talk with his trainer, I feel like I need to shave. Yeah, I know. I, it's, it was bad. I mean, you, you covered everything up. I mean, I, yeah. I at least kind of have a stately beardish kind of a thing going on. You know, you've got the, the nice stubble, but, you know, not everybody digs that, so. I you know. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, lesson learned next week. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to be cleaned up. Nah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, East Bay Deli, uh, you know, make sure you wear your mask if you go in. They're a proud sponsor of Buccaneer Insider. Appreciate what they do for us each and every week. As we're going to continue on to our second interview for this week, it's Jim Stinsey. I want to welcome in our second guest this week. It is the Director of Track and Field and Cross Country. Nice fancy term for our head coach, <laughs> Jim Stinsey. Welcome in, Jim. And uh, how you been? What have you been up to these last little bit? Uh, thanks. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, well, like everyone else, just kind of dealing with the, the new normal and the new situation in college athletics. Uh, so summer is almost always for us kind of a time of uh, uh, recruiting, uh, trying to get some kids on campus, uh, juniors uh, for unofficial visits, that kind of thing. So that didn't happen this year. So we had to kind of rethink recruiting. And so there's been a lot of uh, phone calls, uh, Zoom calls, uh, email back and forth, uh, just to kind of get to know these kids in a different way than we would normally. So same process, just a little bit different look to it. Uh, so let's go back to the early part of the pandemic. Um, throughout the whole thing, uh, outside running, exercising has been said to be one of the safest things. Has you, have you been able to use that to your advantage to keep your, uh, your athletes in shape? Yeah, so they, they really have gone on as though nothing has changed with the exception of no competition. So the elimination of a track season has an effect on these guys and gals in that they normally are ready to kind of go through the springtime, take a little bit of a break and then gear up for cross country. And then the, the track people kind of get ready for fall track. So we didn't have that um, season. So we started early in our preparation for cross country. So one would assume that everybody's fit and ready to go when they get back here. And, and hopefully we have taken a step forward because of that. So they're doing everything they normally would do. Um, they're just doing it on their own. 
so with everything that's gone on kind of what's are there any kind of big differences going forward for for you guys is you know the nice thing about running is that you don't necessarily need to be right next to each other right by each other so are there any changes for you guys when it comes to you know how you guys are setting up practices going forward or any of that yeah i mean there'll be some differences um we're limited to groups of 10 to start out with so we've got 20 guys on the guys team for crossing we've got 12 uh, women so we'll break it up into little smaller groups which we do normally anyway based on sort of their fitness level and in you know what sort of training they're doing um races i think will be a little bit different there might be a little more space between teams on the starting line but sooner or later in the race you're going to get you know you'll be running next to people so that that's the only thing that's a little bit um you can't really change too much in our sport, but I, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's considered a moderately safe sport. It's um, you're outside all the time. You're not right next to each other. So hopefully things will be more or less as they have been. And so I think, so when it comes to what is, when you're one of the questions I like to ask is when it comes to recruiting. And so when you're recruiting, what are you looking for? Because especially, are you looking for just quick times? Is there, is there, you know, what's kind of the makeup? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the first thing that's going to attract you to someone is their, the times that they post. And the great thing about tracking cross country, especially track, is that, I mean, conditions are the same everywhere. There, there might be wind that you have to take into consideration, but a track is a track. And so you can kind of look at somebody from California versus somebody from South Carolina and kind of be able to, match those people up and say okay this guy's run 30 seconds faster than this guy so you would assume that that person is a little bit ahead um but obviously you're looking for some intangibles as well just like you would in any other sport uh distance running track in general is about sort of a lot of self-discipline and being able to kind of um take instructions and sort of do those things on your own. So even in the field events, you, you have to find somebody who is obviously coachable, but also can uh, carry out the things that you ask them to do. So we're looking for those intangibles. You know, work ethic is true in any sport, no matter what you do. Um, if you're a distance runner, uh, you know, if you don't have a great work ethic and you're super talented, sorry, it's not going to happen. So we have to kind of figure out what that person's work ethic is, what their character is like. Are they coachable? Are they, you know, are they a lone eagle that wants to be on their own? And, and so it's not that dissimilar to other sports, except that we have something a little bit more tangible to go by in those times. Do you take a cons uh, like conditions into consideration when recruiting? Like you find some kid from the like uh, Pacific Northwest that's great, but doesn't know how to deal with the heat and humidity that comes down here. Is that something you kind of take into consideration? Yeah, I wouldn't worry about that so much as it might be more somebody that's down here isn't in, a, in our events, in the, in the distance events, is not gonna run quite as fast as somebody from the Pacific Northwest where it's cool and the weather conditions are much better. Um, so we might have to kind of extrapolate a little bit like a kid from the south from the extreme south may not run as fast and you have to say well is that kid quite as good as the kid from the north or the west even though they haven't run quite as fast um getting used to the heat down here you can do it it just takes some time so that that doesn't worry me too much um it's sort of the other way around in evaluating kids that might not have run quite as fast 
How much time? Because I've been here since 1996 and I'm still not used to it. Am I doing something wrong? <laughs> well, we look at uh, we look at heat and humidity as the poor man's altitude. So it's like you, it's much more difficult to run, just like it would be at altitude. You don't get as much oxygen. So I look at it as a good thing. Now my athletes don't look at it as a good thing, but I think it's a good thing. When what's kind of the preparation for for these cross country races and these events uh, that that you kind of put your team through, uh, you know? Because I mean, logically speaking, you go oh, you just go out and you just you just run. And what's what kind of goes into them? Yeah. So the first thing that happens is they obviously they we train all year round like most sports do, but we're almost in season all year round because we start in August. And we go all the way to maybe June. So they take a little bit of a break. And then the, the idea is for them basically to take part of the summer to work back up to the mileage that they were doing at their peak, maybe in cross country or in track. So they, they basically have to just start out slowly, just like anybody else would, build up their mileage so that some kids are running upwards of 100 miles a week. And then later on in the summer, we'll start to do some workouts that would be kind of a preparation for what we would see once they get back on campus. So the idea really is not just, oh, we're gonna go run and whatever happens, happens. It, it's, it's fairly scientific in that they're gonna record their time, their heart rate, how, you know, how far they went, how fast they went. Um, and then we can use that, uh, they or we can use that, uh, that uh, input to kind of determine where they should be when they start in terms of what their workouts should look like. So they're really trying to kind of raise their aerobic fitness to the highest level it can possibly be without, you know, getting on the track and doing repeats and doing all sorts of workouts. Now, I brought up the start of everything in the pandemic earlier, and you said it interrupted, interrupted track and field season. Take us back to, to mid-March. What was that like from a coaching perspective? Well, it was extremely disappointing. Well, first of all, it was, it was interesting and frustrating because nobody knew what the next week was going to hold and how long this pause when it was going to go on. And then once things got delayed and then canceled, it was extremely frustrating because you know, I'm sure you talk to other coaches here. There, a lot of the Power 5 schools, kids might just redshirt and come back their fifth year, but our kids don't necessarily plan on doing that. So that's essentially a lost season for those kids. Um, and frankly, we, you know, they train all year long for cross country, certainly a separate season, and in, in that has its own goals. But track and field is kind of indoors as a preparation for outdoors. So it was like, oh, it was sort of like the basketball season. You, you have most of your season, then once you get into the meat of the season, all of a sudden it's ended and you don't get to kind of prove your fitness level or go against the highest level of competition. So it was extremely disappointing, obviously for the coaches, but mostly for the athletes. Talk a little bit, to focus a little bit more on you and how you got to this position. How does one become a coach for, for track and field and cross country? Well, there's a million different routes to get there. My route was, was pretty unusual. So I ran cross country track at the University of Wisconsin, and then I was running professional, professionally for a few years uh, with Nike, a team that Nike had at the time. And I was training with my old coach at Wisconsin, and it's going to sound like a, a horrible story, but it's true. 
he was recruiting uh, and he was he flew to go see a recruit uh, with a friend who just got his pilot's license and they crashed and he died. It's a horrible story, obviously. Um, and the coach that took over, the assistant coach that took over, this is the middle of the season, they asked me if I would mind helping because I was there anyway. And so I started coaching the distance runners there for a semester. And then after that, kind of got in another coach. I got a jo job as sort of like a grad assistant at Northwestern. And then a job opened up at, a, at, at Michigan State, and I went there. And so it kind of snowballed. It wasn't something I intended to do. A lot of coaches will uh, – go come up through the ranks and be a volunteer coach, just like they would in any other sport, football or basketball, volunteer coach. And then maybe they're a, a grad assistant or, you know, and then you just kind of work your way up. But I kind of had a crash course in uh, becoming a college coach. So what do you do outside of, you know, outside of the track, outside of all these guys? What, what do you like to do for fun? What do you like to do to kind of get away from it all? Absolutely nothing. You can't get away from it. No, I, you know, I, I, I have family in the area. So I spend time with my, my kids and grandkids and my wife. Um, I don't run anymore. I used to run quite a bit, but I don't run anymore. Uh, that's it. I don't have any real exciting hobbies. Sorry. Kind of boring. That's okay. You know what I think, you know, what you do is pretty encompassing and it's good to just click it off and be boring. There's nothing For wrong sure. with being exactly. boring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of it. Is it like, you're, are you a foodie? Are you like a big food guy? Is that something that you're big on? Is, nah. are you, you're just the guy that once you're, once you're off campus, once you're out of the job, you just go and you sit in the darkness and, and just. Exactly. That's exactly what I do. I don't know. This is a tough question. What do I do? Uh, yeah, I don't want I'll just sound like too much of a nerd if I talk about things that I, I'm interested in. So, no. Nah. Hey, you know what? I don't do anything. I don't do anything. If you scan around this office, you're not just going to see uh sports stuff i've got a giant yoda in the corner like yeah. giant life-size yoda yeah, see i would never i would never admit to that nick i'm just not gonna <laughs> no i'm not gonna i'm All not right. gonna divulge those things sorry <laughs> so it's you like to sleep you like to sleep how's that i do yeah there you yeah, go there, yeah yeah you guys are tough interviewers <laughs> yeah, well everyone knows about my life-size yoda now so exactly I mean, yeah you know. exactly Nick just voluntarily gave that one up. Hey, I'm proud of that thing. It, I, I won it at a raffle. It cost me $2. <laughs> but enough about me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So we kind of talked about this upcoming season, what, what could change. Um, you know, practices are going to look largely the same. Has there any – what has been the biggest adjustment for you guys for your season? Well, the biggest adjustment is just that we don't know exactly how it's going to transpire. We don't know, you know, are the field sizes going to be limited? Um, are we going to just do conference-only competition in the Big South? doesn't look like it. Um, is there going to be an NCAA championship? Is there going to be an NCAA regional championship? We, we should know that this week, I think. The NCAA is meeting about those things. But we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Here's, here's where – the coaching staff is and the athletes are right now. We don't care. We just want to have a season. doesn't matter what it looks like. We just want to have competition. We want to, I mean, these people literally are not unlike other sports. They are working uh, all year round so that they can compete. They started, they had two weeks off in March. They started the end of March and they've been training every single day. Like I said, up to hundred, 110 miles a week 
just so they can compete. So we don't, we don't know, we're not too concerned. We just want competition to start. I think that's fair. I think everybody, everybody's in that same boat, but I mean, I, yeah. especially you guys um, and all your, and all your athletes. Uh, and inter- I, something I just kind of thought of is, is scheduling for you guys. What goes into putting together a schedule for cross country and track and field? Yeah. So track and field and cross country is a little, uh, it's, it's interesting because we don't have a, um, a sort of a dual meet where we go just against teams in the conference. Most of our meets would be um, typically anywhere from four to could be as many as 20 or 30 teams. So you, your, your goal in scheduling is to try and get the team ready for the conference championship. So unlike other sports where you have a record and that sort of leads to the tournament, Basically, everybody just meets for the conference championship at the end of the year, basically the end of October, and you want to be ready on that day. So if, you, if you're ready to go on that day and your team runs well, you're conference champions. And then two weeks later is the NCAA regionals, and so you want to be ready again to bounce back and to do as well as you can. And, and the idea is really to hopefully qualify from the regionals to the nationals. So your schedule might be something that starts out real low-key, um, traditionally, we've started out with a real small meet here with just the schools in the, in the low country. And then we've gone to a little bit bigger invitational and then a little bit bigger invitational and then some more kind of big south kind of competition and then to the conference meet. So ideally, that's what it would look like to kind of small meets to get you ready for the latter part of the season and then a few bigger invitationals in there to kind of simulate both the conference and the, and the uh, regional championships. I kind of want to backtrack a little bit. How does one become a professional runner? So, I mean, anybody that's good enough can work. There's teams all over. Let's put it this way. So there's professional teams all over that are essentially sponsored by the big shoe companies. So Nike has a number of different teams. Adidas will have some teams. Brooks has some teams. So if you're good enough, if you are a consistent kind of top, top-tier NCAA finisher, you will probably find a home with one of those teams. And your contract could be anything from travel and equipment to a pretty hefty uh, salary that, that um, some people like. So Usain Bolt is, um, is a very rich man. Um, there's people that even are, that there's people here in South Carolina that are professional athletes that might be making I don't know what it is anymore. When I was running, it was very little, but it could be a few thousand dollars a year. You could, uh, if you're a person who runs local road races, you could make, you can make a good living if you're a good runner just by showing up at road races and, and earning prize money at road races. So there's a whole lot of ways to do it, um, but there aren't a lot of people that do that. So in terms of the number of people that compete at the, at the division one level, in NCAA competition, then narrows down. It would be just, it would be like the uh, Major League Baseball or, or uh, the NBA or NFL. It's a really small percentage of those people that do it. How long would it take, uh, how long would it take for your teams to leave Nick and I in the dust uh, if we were had to race against them? I mean, I. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to 
insult either one of you. <laughs> um, how much running are you guys doing right now? I'll just say as soon as the gun goes off. and you Yeah. Know. <laughs> I mean, depends on the event. And, yeah. I mean, it, it would be – we can do it. We could do it. We could live stream it. It might be a lot of fun to, to do that. I, I suggest we do that. I'll see if ESPN Plus will take it. How's that? There you go. There you go. Now, I, uh, I went through a brief spell where I was running quite a bit, and I think my fastest was uh, sub eight-minute mile, and I did the bridge run in under an hour, and I started running again pretty recently, and I think I'm at a 15-minute mile. So the, well, there you uh, go. There you yeah, go. There's an there's a, there's a idea. Okay. Well, uh, you're welcome to come and run with us anytime you want to. We've extended that invitation to Dr. Costin, and he still hasn't shown up, although we really would like him to run with us. So we're still hoping. I, I think the, the impediment for me is probably whatever time you guys are running, I'm probably doing something else. Yeah, that might be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're smart, you are. <laughs> what time okay. do you guys usually run? Yeah. Well, we start at, uh, we usually start at 6.45. And that's the a.m., right? That's the a.m. And yeah. then... Yeah. People that run in the afternoon typically would do that on, on their own. So they might do it in the evening or they might do it in the afternoon. So not everybody runs twice a day, but a lot of guys do, and girls. So six, 6.45, it really isn't as bad as I thought it would have been. Yeah. Well, uh, there's two issues you're dealing with. A, you have to allow people to get some sleep, right? And you're talking about college students and especially the ones that I work with, the guys. So that's difficult. But the other thing is, uh, later in the fall, you're dealing with uh, the darkness, frankly. It, we used to start earlier than that, but our entire workout would be in the dark. And so this is the best case scenario that they can still make a nine o'clock practice. And the weather is decent, but, you know, you're not tripping over things when you're running on the grass. I think the last time I was consistently up at 645 was 12 years ago when I was doing traffic reports for a local radio. So, yeah. And when you were running for the bridge run, remember? And when I was doing the bridge run. Yeah. yeah no, right. I, w I was a glutton for punishment. I would still be doing it at like 11 a.m., 12 p.m., even during the summer. Yeah, that's uh, a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've realized that, but I, I sleep. Yeah. yeah <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wh what is your ideal running condition? Probably. So, since we talked about like how brutal it is here in the summertime, I have to say what's great about Charleston is that once you get over kind of, you know, that mid October and you start to get more fall like weathers weather here, uh, it's perfect running conditions for most of the school year for us. So anything 50s, 60s, 70s is great running conditions, low humidity. So once we get past that, that brutal spot, like coming up right now, Weather in Charleston is really good for, for distance running. Well, I don't know if uh, you've got anything else for him, Nick. No, this has been great. Um, I've always been more of a sprinter. So uh, anytime you need somebody to help you, you know. You're welcome to come and sprint with us too. Yeah. I'm, I'm anytime in. you I'm, want to. I'm, I'm 36 and a lot slower than I used to be, but I, I can still, I'm still happy to, you know, get some exercise in. So. You know, when we have our home meets, they're open anybody can compete in them. So I'm going to just automatically sign you up next time. Nick. Hey, you know what? Uh, I've got some time to train. I'm in. Let's do this. There you go. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thanks coach. Appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, you know, maybe we'll, we'll try and uh, take you up on one of those. We'll come and meet you one morning sometime. 
Sounds good. Sounds good, guys. And there is the Yoda. It's. I'm not lying, guys. This is. It is right next to me over there. I I won it in a raffle when the f- episode one Phantom Menace came out. It cost me two dollars for two tickets, and I won that thing. And it's it stayed with me ever since. So I don't know if I'm proud of that. I mean, I kind of am, but I don't know if I should be. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a cool it's a cool thing to have. Not as cool as Jim Stinsey, though. That's true. Jim is very cool, even though you know he's. He just likes sleeping. Very boring outside of uh, outside of the track. But uh, hey, that's okay. You know, this is pretty cool. This list of places you can now find Buccaneer Insider. It's not just on YouTube anymore. In case you missed it, let's give you the full rundown. We are on the following: Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and iTunes. I don't know what half of those are. Maybe you do, but we're there. Yeah, look. If you have internet and you and you have some sort of some sort of audio website that you'd like to go to, we're probably on there. Yeah, and if you want to recommend another one, please pass it along. We'll be happy to cater to you, just like East Bay Deli does. That's true. Delivery East Bay Deli, proud sponsor of Buccaneer Insider. Appreciate what they do. It was uh, another good week from us this week. As uh, like we said at the start, we're we're getting closer and closer. We're hopefully uh, hopefully getting back getting back to more normalcy and uh, hopefully we can get away from zoom as we do. Uh, we're, we're working on some things. I know we mentioned that it seems like every week, but we're not lying. We actually are. We're working on some things uh, for the future. Yeah. You, you know how the process is through all this. It's just, it's the hurry up and wait, you know, we're, we've got things working. It's just a matter of finding the right time and eventually that time will come. But uh, until then you're stuck with these lovely faces unless you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or any of those places I just mentioned. Yes. Then you get our lovely voices, which is, I mean, it's just as good. You're still coming out ahead. Exactly. Well, either way, I appreciate everybody for joining us again for this week for my partner, Nicholas Case, Killian McClatchy here. We'll see you all next time on Buccaneer Insider.